0: All right, here we go. This is our first podcast. Number we don't know one. what we're doing. Not yet, but we'll figure it out. We'll figure it out as we go. Yes. I'm Evan.
1: And this is Kelvin. And we're gonna be talking NBA. Let's get straight into it. Let's jump right into it. So, what you want to start off with? I was thinking that maybe we could start off with the awards. I think that would be a good place. Let's to start, start with let's
0: start with awards. So we're halfway done with the season, roughly. Just and, about. And um, if the season ended today, I think James Harden
1: pretty clearly wins MVP. What do you think? I mean, I'm a little bit biased. I think um, James is hes a product of that system. Mike D'Antoni, the the better plays they put around him. I think Russell Westbrook has a stronger case. He lost more and is doing more, but honestly, I think you have to give it to LeBron James. I think what he's doing in Cleveland from just a general manager standpoint to a coaching standpoint to a whole culture, I think you have to give it to him. He's been driving that team, and I think you have to reward the greatest player for being, you know, the greatest player. We we let Kobe go by with only getting one MVP, as we discussed previously. Right. So I think, like, you have to honor him. His game is just that great where you, you have to give it to LeBron.
0: LeBron is so great that we forget about him,
1: and that's a sign of of how good he is. I think the Russ forget about him, too. He's been complaining about that lately. Yeah. And it's, <laughs> um, someone compared them to Shaq, if I'm not mistaken, and I think he does have that type of dynamic where he's so – just dominant as a position that I think the whistle will blow on every play.
0: Well, I think you make a good case for LeBron, and I think LeBron can be the MVP every year. But I think let's make the case for Harden. Let's make the case for Harden because there's been nobody that's been putting up the kind of scoring and assists, and the team is winning. And whatever you want to say about stats, to be the MVP, your team has to be winning, and you have to be the driving force on that team and obviously lebron is a driving force yes. on cleveland but they have a lot of talent around him and in houston you know there's a lot that james harden is doing and you know two years ago he almost, almost. was the mvp I, if you ask the players he, he, he might he probably was he, he got the play um, MVP. and and he's here he is playing even better putting up crazy assists um, essentially being the point guard, and an under you know an underrated fact here is they're winning seventy five percent of their games. Correct, correct. Um, now it's half a season, but that's what we have to judge it on. And um, you know, I, I think you can always make for the case for LeBron, yeah. and you could say LeBron should win it every year, but it's hard to make a case against James Harden, and uh, with Westbrook, you know they're tied for fifth and. Maybe I'm putting too much weight into what position you're in, Mm -hmm. but if you're in the five spot, that means there might be as many as ten teams better than your team. There's got to be somebody out there that is the MVP instead of that guy. And as great as Russell Westbrook is
1: and as crazy as he's playing, uh, there can only be one MVP. You make a great case for Harden. I could see giving it to Harden, honestly, looking at where his team was at this same very point last year and all the strides that they made to improve their record. And he's being a, a better player, just more active. I mean, I wouldn't say he's locked in defensively, but I, I guess he's actually paying attention to it enough to where I, I could say, okay, you give you give it to James Harden. I think, honestly, in my book, I think LeBron James is the most valuable player in the sense of the most valuable player. But if you had to give the award to someone, I, I would go with Harden. I mean, LeBron is just my pick every year. I think he's for, like, seven eight years now, been arguably the greatest player in the game
0: you think mike d'antoni hasn't created a defensive situation there in houston you think uh mike d'antoni plus james harden doesn't doesn't equal locking people down um i don't (laughs) i don't believe mike d'antoni
1: understands what defense is
0: (laughs) well james (laughs) harden's very happy to have that coach all right so we made our case for for mvp uh let's talk rookie of the year Joel Embiid
1: technically qualifies as a rookie, does he not? He does, and that makes him a runaway favorite. Um, if I really had to choose the award on first-year players only, I would give it to Malcolm Brogdon. I like that. I like that. I, I, like I that. feel like honestly, he's surprisingly good. Yes, yeah, surprisingly. I mean, he was a great player. I think his potential was something that that didn't um that it didn't get a lot of press, didn't get a lot of credit. Not only that, I just think his potential is not. His ceiling is not as high as other players yeah. who were drafted before him, obviously.
0: He's a solid all-around exactly. player, and, I, and
1: sometimes that's not sexy. It's not, and his game wasn't sexy. A of, of defensive-oriented player who could get you points, who could do a lot of things, but his game wasn't flashy, but I feel like his game translated, and someone who's in his same very position that's coming into the draft is Josh Hart from Villanova, and I feel like he's going to come in be a late-round, second-round draft pick just like Brogdon is and he's going to take the league by storm. But I think you have to give it to, to Joel Embiid, and you have to thank, I guess, his teammate for that Ben Simmons for, for being injured.
0: Yeah, yeah, because it would be a real competition, I think, if the, if the two of them were out there on the floor certainly competing for stats. You know, Embiid, he, he's lived up to the hype, and, and, and obviously it's only half a season so far, so we don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves. But the guy can pretty much do everything, and yeah. he's got
1: moves – He's got personality.
0: I think the uh, NBA should
1: change that rule, though. I think that in it should the be your class, it, and if you miss it, you miss it. Not only that, I mean, sometimes you okay. can you can sit out a year, let's say a year removed from the time you were drafted, and still be able to win the award. But to be able to redshirt in the NBA for two years, know the process of how to go through the workouts, what you need to eat, your thought process. I mean, although yeah. you're not in the games, it's a big help. You still have an advantage over these players who are coming from a college system. Absolutely. You know what it takes to be a man in this league. Yep. So, with that going forward, I feel like he's he's just well more mature than what we would see for a rookie. You could argue you know he's not I'm a saying? rookie. But just thinking about the rookie of the year, how would you redraft that class? Do you think is anybody who should go higher, anybody who should go lower, or the draft was just uh, a very weak draft as they predicted it?
0: I think it was a, a fairly weak draft. Um, you know, I, I'm not as well-versed as to – be able to pick out uh, who who was who was the best and who wasn't the best, um, and obviously you know we have the premier player Ben Simmons not even out there on the court, so it's really hard to judge. But I think I think it was a draft that wasn't super talented, and you got a guy like Brogdon who really affects winning more than he does any sort of individual statistic, the way a typical Rookie of the Year sort of tends to do. A, a rookie of the year is not necessarily a guy who's winning. It's usually guys putting up numbers on a team that was shitty last year, and that's yes. why they
1: got this guy. So I guess so, um, Embiid is our choice?
0: I think Embiid's our choice, but I, I like Brogdon. I think that's a good argument. I mean,
1: I, I, I think I fell in love with Embiid's game. Like, he has that inside presence, that outside presence. He can do it all on the court. Super versatile. It's like it's nothing that he can't do. And it reminds me of, of what we would th- think about with Anthony Davis when he came into the league. Absolutely. Just being able to do it all. And he's even expanding his game as well. So I think that Embiid has some very high selling. And he can be a superstar that that Philadelphia needed and was looking for in all this tanking. But the question is, what if they found two or three superstars in this tanking process?
0: They very well could have. They very well could have. And I think uh, they're, they're in a pretty good position going forward. It, it sounds strange because they've been the laughing stock of the league for the last few years. But... Um. Trust the process. Hey, trust hey, the process. Exactly. So,
1: rookie of the year. Trust, trust the process. I think. I think that's that's what we're going for. All
0: right. So let's move on to most improved. Um, this one's always fun because you could pick a guy who's already really good, mm-hmm. and um, I think John Santa de man, mm. it's hard to find a guy who is more interesting this season than he was last season. He's a guy who. And I don't want to give myself too much credit, but he's a guy who had the length, the athleticism, the skill set, who you could see this guy is going to mature into a very versatile player. And he's done it very, very quickly. I mean, is he, is he 21, 22? It's just about, Is and, he Right? And um, he's already one of these guys that you probably wouldn't – you'd probably trade anybody on your team for him if you were the other team. The ceiling is that high. And 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 project. we're here already. Yeah, yeah. And um, you know, if you said that early last season, people might think you're crazy. No one's gonna think you're crazy if you say that this season, nope, because not at all. Uh, he's just made that leap. So I think that that's probably the easy decision for most improved. Uh, do you have anybody else we could throw out?
1: there? Um, one person I was looking at um, was Clint Capella. I think with the opportunities that he's had with the time Great in fit. Houston. I think he's taken the ball and and run with it, so to speak. Like, just the opportunity that he's he's had with Harden being gone with a new system. Harden taking the, um, the, the point guard duties. I think he's thrived in that role. I think just him, his rebound numbers, his scoring numbers has even picked up. And I think he's even improved on his free throw shooting this year. So I think that he's one of those players that I look at that he really didn't wow me last year. He really didn't do much, but now you have to put his name. And I had a most improved, even though he's he's injured right now. But that's one of the people I was thinking about, and I was also thinking about maybe even Jabari Parker. Yeah, because I think that Milwaukee is better because of Giannis, but they're also better with the development of Jabari Parker. He's become a twenty point scorer, could grab maybe seven, eight rebounds a night, and he's very versatile. Yep, he can guard some threes, some fours nights, and he's he's very he's sneaky good. He could put score him. all over the floor. Yes, and his explosiveness—I seen him put a, a, on a putback dunk. He came out of nowhere, and I'm like, "Wow!" I forgot that that was actually Jabari Parker from Simeon High School, from Duke, and then now he makes you realize, okay, now I see where the potential is.
0: He's another guy who sat out uh, through injury. Yes, n- yes, no fault to his own. Unfortunately. Um, and he, sometimes when that happens, he guys like that get off people's radar. Yes, and I think that probably happened with him, and. Yeah, every time I've watched him this year, I said, that guy is a threat to score every time he touches the ball.
1: But I think Milwaukee can do that to you. I yeah. think um, we, we didn't appreciate Ray Allen in the beginning of his time, maybe even ben, uh, Big Dog, Glenn Robinson. They're not exactly a national exactly. TV kind of team. And even Michael Red, who, phenomenal shooter, who if he was playing in the league today would be – more suited to today's game well well suited for today's game yeah so i think like when it depends on where you're at when you get the national spotlight but the game is changing especially with more tv dollars being introduced to the game is is no such thing as a small market team anymore in my opinion because i watched basketball this week and i think i've seen from small market to big market medium market all on the national scene so
0: there's certainly no small market players everybody uh everybody is a brand unto themselves and uh they can they can make it anywhere. Okay. Um, all right, so I think that's pretty good for uh, awards so far. Let, let's change it a little bit. Uh, let's ask let's ask the the obvious question that everyone has on their minds, from the casual fans to the people who really know what they're talking about. Can anyone actually beat the Warriors? Make a
1: case for the yes. I mean, I'm a little biased, um, as you guys will get to know. I am a, a big, avid Spurs fan, so anytime go Spurs, there's a team go. in the West that that comes along, I feel like every year the Spurs, we have a chance to knock them off if all goes well. I think we're missing one or two pieces to, to combat with them. They do have Durant and Clay Thompson. I think Klay Thompson is the piece that we need to work on stopping. Like That's the one thing that when you look at our roster. Knobli's not going to stop him. Parker's exactly. not going to stop him. And he's not Dan Green, him. if healthy. Uh, might be able to do something. He can cause some trouble. He can make some threes, but I think we need that, that Clay Thompson stopper in the, in the sense of the same way we had that Kobe stopper. I think that's the one thing that our roster is missing. But we have Kawhi, but he's turned into a different player and, where and he has to score more. And you probably have to put him on Durant. I mean... You have to put him on Durant. Who else do yeah. you task with that? I, I don't think there's any one person you would say go out and, and guard one of the greatest players in the game right now. I think Kawhi does it and I think he gets it done at a, at a high level because that's just the type of player that he is and that he has been. So I think that the Spurs have a legitimate chance. Um, Cleveland of course, I think they're one piece away from actually being that team where I think you have to watch out for them to just like do the same things they've been doing for the few last few years. Well, LeBron rather has been doing for the last few years, which is have that tune-up of the East throughout and then make it to the Finals and, and play the best team. So I think that the Cavs, they're one or two pieces. I wouldn't say two because they just got Cal Krover, so I think they're yeah. a point guard away, a backup point guard, away from really saying, okay, now this is the team that we know that they can be less less prepared for this. As World much World's as playoffs. I like the Spurs, I really? feel
0: like they don't have enough, like you're saying. I feel like the guard play is inconsistent enough where they're just not going to be able to match the scoring. That Golden State can put out there, but I do agree with you about Cleveland. I mean, this is a team that that did beat the Warriors. Obviously, a different Warriors team than last year, but you could argue it's a different Cleveland team last year. I mean, Kevin Love is 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 in better shape. I feel like he's uh, he's a little stronger. He's a little more Kevin Love than he was last year. He's he, more acclimated to the system. I feel system like he now. was trying to be he's somebody that he really wasn't last year. He, um, it, I think he lost some weight. Back. Lost some.
1: I don't know. Lost his inside game in a way it goes back to what lebron was saying like don't like try to fit in you know what i'm saying right and don't fit don't fit out <laughs> exactly don't fit out fit in that was lebron's words yeah. and i think the championship run with it being you know with lebron and Kyrie being at the forefront of that and kevin love having to play third fiddle when everybody's saying okay well kevin love really didn't help this i think that people saying those things is what drove Kevin Love to say, okay, this season I have to be much better. And I think it's to, it's to the advantage of, ca- of the Cavaliers. Like, Absolutely. It doesn't do, doesn't do anything but help them Absolutely. to move forward and say, okay, we have Kevin Love who can grab these rebounds, who can score on threes, but we have to put him in these different positions and let him be our third piece that we need to compete against a team like the Warriors who compile in pieces.
0: Especially in the long haul of the regular season where, I mean, as great as LeBron is and as productive as he is, it would be completely irrational for him to go hundred percent during the regular season all veteran players that know that they have a good shot of being in the finals you know they're playing three-quarter speed during the regular season and in order to get home court advantage throughout you need some of these other younger guys to pick up the load during the regular season and I think uh, you know obviously Kyrie is is young enough and, and productive enough to do that and Kevin Love is, is having a nice bounce back year and takes pressure off LeBron I mean he, it was just a year ago where LeBron took that little mini-vacation. Uh, <laughs> banana boat. Got on the banana boat, <laughs> went to Miami for a little while, freaked some people out. But he sort of needed that, that time to recoup a little bit. because like of the peace of mind almost. Well, but also the weight is just on his shoulder from a productivity standpoint. They needed him to produce because he's such a focal part to the team. Yes. And when you have a guy like Kevin Love stepping up, you have a guy like Kyrie continuing to mature and improve and handle more of the load, now LeBron can sit back. He can pick his spots. He doesn't have to go balls to the wall every single game, and that just means he's going to be super ready in the playoffs. And so I agree that Cleveland is a dangerous team, even against the Warriors, even against the Kevin Durant Warriors.
1: I mean, you you have to think, like, if Richard Jefferson has another flashback like he had in Game mm. 7. where He, he must have went to have Germany or something, get and, the blood splinting and, and all that. I think he, he, he's actually a really good piece. He does for them what Iguodala does for the Warriors. He kind of settles down the defense. He knows where to be just a veteran, a very heady player, so to speak. Versatile. You know what I'm saying? Exactly. And when I saw him against the Warriors throw down those two dunks on Clay wow. and Kevin Durant, I turned back the hands of Tom. <laughs> made
0: me think of Vince Carter, who... Vince Carter can still do that. At 39 years old, Vince Did Carter? He, didn't
1: he kind of poke around with the idea of maybe being in the dunk contest? So I, I think there's a little bit a little bit of mouth still left in You know legs.
0: what? If anything could get Magic Johnson to say the dunk contest is back, and he says it every year, it would be Vince Carter in the <laughs> dunk contest this year. The Who dunk contest really is that. back if Vince Carter, at 39 years old, is doing it. I would love to see it. I
1: would love to see it, <laughs> it as well. I think, like, last year, it really... Captured the essence of what we wanted the dunk contest to be like every year We don't strive for it to be okay We're gonna have four of the top dunkers come and they're gonna put on a show for everyone It doesn't happen like that like some people guys don't show up It's not worth it to them some people are just better in-game dunkers than they are in competition You know what I'm saying? So unnatural in a little way exactly it it really is so I'm thinking like when are you gonna? See that time where somebody actually says okay? You're gonna be my prop and I'm gonna dunk it on you to make it look like as great of a dunk as it should be in-game but I think what last year did with Aaron Gordon and Zach mm-hmm. Levine, just mm-hmm. having that competition of two great dunkers showcasing their skills, I think that got the excitement level back. And the creativity. Exactly. Which was
0: lacking for a long time because long time.
1: we when you see so much creativity in all
0: those prior years, it's hard to think of new dunks. I have a lot of sympathy for these guys. And and last year those guys brought their A game from a creativity standpoint and they are super duper athletes. In, in, in I in order personally to jump out still and think
1: they should still be dunking in the tie to this day. Like, I don't think that competition should have ended. Yeah. I mean, Levine walked away with the title, but in but my Aaron opinion, Gordon Aaron Golden had the better dunks. But, like, you can't knock the Space Jam dunk that <laughs> Zach Levine did. Like, it was just amazing. So, it's I think it was up in the air. Yeah. But, but moving right along uh, to the next award, let's look at Coach of the Year. I think it's, a, it's, a, it's a difficult... Award to give out because you want to give it out based off a record or do you give it out based on the overall improvement of the team? I think, in my opinion, if I, if I had to choose who I would go with, I'm looking at someone like Dan Toney yep. with what he did with Houston, just the fact that they weren't a playoff team at all last year. And so to go from that to now picking up to being third in the West and only having 10 losses to this point in the season, I think that's a team that – and a coach that you have to look at like he's had a very great effect on the culture of that team and just on how they compiled the roster and what he's done for that team I mean when you look at I think when you look at all the other teams so far I think everything has has been steady from what we seen last year yeah you look at the East you have Cleveland and Toronto and Boston and Atlanta those were the top four teams from last year and then you have everybody else who's fallen in from five to eight to pull together and then you look at the West who are the who are the three teams that you're really looking at Golden State San Antonio, and the Clippers, if they could ever get it together and find maybe a third scorer with you're not looking to DeAndre Jordan to be part of your victory. Yeah, I think they could really do something. I think a player like Rudy Gay is somebody who they should have been looking at to help. And There's always a help. wing
0: that they're missing. There's exactly. always that corner shooter. I thought, I
1: thought Jeff Green would be what they needed, but I think Jeff Green, his trajectory and what we thought of him as a player kind of changed after the surgery.
0: And I think they got Paul Pierce a year too late. The Paul Pierce that was on the Wizards was a super productive guy. Yes. They ended that season with Paul Pierce hit, hitting a buzzer beater three in a game seven that was waved off. And Weird. you could just you could see the look on his face like, man, I really played well this whole year. And I kind of gave it all I could for this kind of shitty Washington was- team. And if he was just on either the Clippers or Oklahoma City that year, yes. Mm, those shots matter a lot more because it's on a much bigger stage. So, yeah, the Clippers are always kind of missing that that wing score. Uh, And and they, you know, frankly, they just need somebody to get hurt. That's kind of the only way that the Clippers can get in there. But I think, just to get back to the topic, I think Mike Mike D'Antoni, he's a perfect fit for Harden. He's a perfect fit for this roster. And after two really frustrating seasons in the two biggest markets – New York and LA at uh, his previous jobs where people started to say, well, is this, was, was this just a Steve Nash kind of thing? Was this just a flash in the pan with Phoenix? Uh, no, uh, Mike D'Antoni was ahead of the curve when it comes to, you might call it positionless basketball. Yes. I think you just call it super skill basketball where, where you have a versatile team of guys who can pass and shoot and dribble regardless of how big they are. And, um, And that necessarily means more three-pointers. In in Phoenix, you had guys like uh, Tim Thomas coming out and shooting three-pointers. You even had Sean Marion shooting three-pointers. And you marry that with James Harden and Daryl Morey. And you say, out of these three guys, coach, GM, best player, who wants to shoot threes? Everybody. Everybody wants to shoot threes. It, it's it's you a know, perfect storm. You get a three, and you get a three, and you, <laughs> you get a three.
1: <laughs> Look under your seats because you get a three. Exactly. When you put it that way, you think about it in those terms. That is the perfect storm of GM, coach, player. We want to shoot threes. We want to score more threes than everybody. And that's what analytics will tell you. And we all know Mori is the analytics guy. We all know Dan Tony is for that high powered, seven seconds or less offense. And James Harden, offense is his middle name. Yep. So. That, I think that is the perfect marriage of, of GM, coach, and player that, that you can have.
0: And it's no surprise that most years, the coach of the year and the MVP are from the same team. Uh, you, you, in this league, it's so talented. There's so much competition. You really need both guys performing at a high level. And it, it, it really takes both guys being on the same page. And who's more on the same page than Harden and Mike D'Antoni right now?
1: And I also want to give a shout out to Quinn Snyder from the Utah Jazz. I think with him having them in fifth place in the west Talking about beating expectations! Yes, and I think they have a very versatile roster, and they have an embarrassment of riches where they can actually make a move at the deadline. Where I think it kind of puts them in the conversation of being like uh, uh, the Clippers, who can possibly challenge if they have that one piece, you know. And I think I think like is, what are they missing? Is it, is it that point guard? I think they search for it with mean, X team. George Hill they plays at a it.
0: super high level. He gets lost in the mix because the point guard play is so good in this league. But I, I went to the Knicks game, uh, the one game where Utah comes here to New York, and I'm telling you, George Hill uh, is playing at a super high level. I mean, that, that is
1: Pop's favorite player.
0: Yeah. He's a very intelligent player, and on the pick and roll, if he's hitting that jump shot when the big sets the screen – uh, it is very, very hard to compete with that. And they've got great <laughs> versatility up front um, at, at the wings. Yeah, I mean, I think Quinn Snyder's done a great job for a team that most people probably said, eh, maybe they make the playoffs, maybe they're the eighth seed. Hey, they're right up there at five. They're tied with Russell Westbrook in Oklahoma City. So you got to give a lot of credit right there. A lot of credit.
1: And I think um, Golden Hayward... A very underrated player. He's
0: very underrated player. I mean, to commit some blasphemy as a Knicks fan, when I watched him against Carmelo, I was like, "Hmm, he's, he's right there right now." And I don't, I don't want to admit it. I don't like admitting it. But he, he's
1: right there right now. I think it's just activity. From an activity standpoint, the odd test on activity, just seeing plays being going hard every engaged, play, engaged, going hard, like exactly doing different things to affect the game. And Melo, a phenomenal talent. But I feel like he only affects the game in one way, you know. That you know that is gonna exact. That's gonna help you win. And I think that now the game is so wide open, and it's so much more that you have to bring to the table as far as passing. Because when you think about the threes that is being shot, there's more ball movement. Yeah. More crisp passing. Something that the Spurs implemented long time ago. So you have more ball movement. You have more passing, moving on screens, and that's not something that Melo has adapted to. And I think that the moment that he takes his game and just say, okay, I can do these different things more as opposed to just getting the ball on the wing, let me look at the defender, slow it down. Mm-hmm. Like, move the ball a little bit more. Like, sometimes as players, we get confident, too overconfident, like even in myself. And I, the things that I could do five years ago. I could beat this guy in this matchup. Exactly, I'm not able to do you telling
0: it. me I can't beat this guy in this matchup?
1: Exactly. <laughs> so him being Carmelo Anthony and being this, This high-praised talent is like he knows that he can get by this player. But his body is just not allowing him the little nagging injuries, show the injuries, knee injuries. It takes his toll. So now what Melo has to say is he has to adjust his game to the team as opposed to I think every team that Melo's ever been on, they played around him because he's been the greatest talent. But if your talent as being great doesn't make everyone around you better, then I think you have to take a back seat and say, if you're going to be able to make everybody else better, I'll allow you to do that. Let Derrick Rose be the distributor and things of that nature. Well, the game has Work changed. through Porzingis and then ke- catch and shoot, get your shots, and take over when you need to.
0: I think Melo is, is sort of a product of his time. And um, if you look back to, to 10 years ago, to um, the way the game was played in the early 2000s, it was all about beating your man one-on-one. It was all about winning your matchup. It was all about winning that play, and winning that play in a sensational way. And the game has opened up. It's opened up massively since then. And part of it was the Olympics um, where we were not there, and we got the bronze because these other teams were moving the ball and getting guys wide open. And even some, you know, half-rate player can hit an open shot, Right. And so, when it becomes more about strategy from a team standpoint and getting the corner three open, now all of a sudden, yeah, Melo can beat his guy on that play, and he can beat him on that play, and he can beat him on that play. But what happens over the course of a game when you start to measure everything out, and that's what analytics is really about, is about measuring everything over the course of a game, over the course of a season, and you see that. Well, open shots are just a higher percentage shot. You don't have to be the best player in the league. You don't have to be oh. one of the top 20 players in the league. Open shot's and open shot. And um, the, the, the number 200 player in the league is is, is going to hit that at a nice clip. And if your offense is designed around moving the ball and getting guys open and getting decent guys in that position, uh, you're at a certain level. And then you watch Golden State. Now they take super-duper good shooters and they put those guys in that situation. So Just amazing. You, the thing that frustrates people about Carmelo, I think, is that I think he is a good passer. I think he's got great court vision. He doesn't play the ball handler in the pick and roll that often, but, man, he makes some sweet passes and some nice reads when he is in that situation. And the biggest frustration as a Knicks fan that I had was when you had him and Amare, how come you're not running 10 plays a game with Amare sitting the screen and Carmelo the ball handler make the defense make a choice mm. and allow Carmelo to make reads he's exactly. he's an elite player and any elite player sees the floor better than other guys and I think the 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 habit of style that he has gotten into is you know everybody says it he's a ball stopper and uh, there's all these negative connotations associated with that there's there's all this negativity that goes with that but I think to take a step out of that, Carmelo is a great basketball player. He is capable of much more than he's doing, and I think the legitimate arguments against Carmelo are that he's fully capable of expanding his game defensively, in, in passing and making reads, and he does it in a sensational manner when he does do it. But you have to do that today, the way the game is played.
1: I mean, I, what I would I would look at it as when we look at two of the best isolation players of, of my era, I would say, I would say Allen Iverson, Tracy McGrady. Yeah. But the one thing that I look at that's the difference between those two players and Carmelo Anthony is just the activity level. Even later on in McGrady's career, you still know he's going to cross somebody over and dunk on them. Yep. We, have, we don't see that kind of activity from Carmelo Anthony. Does he ha- still have that kind of lift? Is he able to blow by players on a one-on-one? Does he want to? Saying? Exactly. So it kind of seemed like is he taking a nonchalant approach to the game? Like, settling what is it for the take... jumper. Exactly. What is it going to take for Melo to be fully engaged? Like I think coming into this year, I was so excited about the Knicks because he had the best set of teammates while he was on the Knicks. Even though they may have been past their prom, they still have the wits about them yep. where they would know how to be in the right spots. They would know how to play together. But is Derrick Rose really that floor general in the sense of that? I don't think he's ever been that. Even in Chicago, they've had a defensive coach who... Implemented that strategy for a whole of the team. And I think, like, even on the offensive end, Derrick Rose was more of a scorer, yep. not as much as a facilitator. He never really led the league in assists. That wasn't his game. Yep. He's a scoring guard in the vein of. He's going to be shot the dribble and finish in a fantastic exactly. way. And I think that having a great player like that is good because the Knicks did need a penetrating guard. Yep. But at the same time, I felt like they needed a guard who can distribute the ball a la Chauncey Billups. When you look at the Someone's f- got to make this, the reads exactly and find things
0: for other guys Milos. and make it easier for those guys and be that better player that makes it easier for those other guys. And I think Carmelo, he's got all the skills. He's he's got the he's got the intelligence, um, and I think he honestly he he sl- he slowly puts it together. But I think um, it, you know we are creatures of habit, <laughs> and it's yes. hard.
1: Yeah, it's very much old,
0: old habits die hard. Sometimes, all right. Well, for a, for a podcast about NBA in general, we've given the Knicks un- and uh, a, a crappy Knicks team a good couple minutes here. So let's move on to something uh, more for the general audience. Um, let's talk about something where let's take a view that most people don't agree with. God. You know, in, in in life, in all kinds of hmm. things, everybody tends to go one way. And you were saying a couple minutes ago before we started recording about the two-minute report it's yes. pretty unpopular lots of guys come out against it lots of guys come out and say we shouldn't have the two-minute report on referees and uh... make the case make the case for the two-minute report
1: i'll make the case for the two-minute report simply off the fact that the same people who are calling who are speaking out against the two-minute report are the same people who are calling for transparency of the game mm. so it's like when are you ever going to be satisfied on what you receive from the game Do which you one want is the open <laughs> and we report everything that the refs are missing, like, that is going to put the onus on the refs to get everything right, which they're not perfect. Nope. And I think the two minutes, what the NBA thought in theory was that the last two minutes of the game would be a synopsis of a very close game, one that would maybe even be able to go into overtime, a game within four or five minutes. Are the refs making the right decisions at those crucial moments? That's what we have to look at the report for. What people are using the report as as like an end-all, be of what the refs are doing. I think it just takes those crucial moments and their decision making and it puts it in perspective. Are they getting it right most of the time? And I think that's what the report needs to be used for. People are using it as this like semi quasi Bible type thing to look at as far as what the refs are doing, but I don't think is that. I think what they should do is, I think the two minute, I think we should keep the two minute report, honestly, because it lets you see, okay, did the ref make the right call? You know? Yeah,
0: I think the main thing is we want them to get it right. We want them to get it right in the biggest situations. And if they're pretending like they get it right all the time and then not telling us anything, uh, that doesn't lead towards anything that we really, really desire. And so, look, you get into these weird situations where a team wins a game in a close game and then the two-minute report comes out and it goes against what some of those calls were and you say, oh, that win is bullshit because the two-minute report went against that call, and so you shouldn't have won that game. And then some people get salty about that. Human error. But, look, the whole goal here is to get it right when it really matters. And I think you got to give the NBA a whole lot of credit for you know having the balls come out here and say, we don't always get it right, but we're going to hold ourselves to a certain standard at these crucial moments in the game Yes. so that over the long term we do get it right and that, that we have the, an incentive structure here that we do to get it right. Um, so, uh, yeah, I, lots of guys argue against it, but I think uh, you either want
1: transparency or you don't, and I think you do. I and think you do. You, you just can't please everyone is just my point, and I think that the NBA has given you something – that you can actually point at and use as a frame of reference. And I think that if you want to release the whole game officiating, I think you're just going too deep into it. You know, yeah. like you want a box score on officiating. like it, We're going to have instant
0: replays on every play.
1: Exactly. That's, that's what we're leaning towards, yeah. honestly.
0: No, thank you. No, thank you. All right. Let's uh, let's move to a different segment where we're talking about what teams need. Um, we're getting pretty close to the trade deadline. We're, we're not too far from All-Star. And this is, the, this is the period where activity really finally steps up. And you made a point earlier, I think LeBron made a point earlier, that Cleveland could use a point guard. Yes. Uh, in particular, a backup <coughs> point guard, because obviously there's nothing wrong with Kyrie Irving. Not um, So w- what kind of options do you think Cleveland could have in the backup point guard position?
1: I have a name that's, that's not the most sexiest name that probably won't be in the forefront of what everybody thinks, but I think that a guard like Jameer Nelson a veteran guard yeah. who's shooting 37% from the field, who's had about 20 minutes per game and is scoring about 8 points, I think that fits perfectly with he's got some NBA Finals experience as yes. a starter. Yes, and I think he, he can control the game as far as what the second unit would need because you gotta think when JR comes back he's gonna be in there with the first unit and then now you have Cal crowver who's gonna be in there with the second unit a very good shooter. They're gonna need somebody who could distribute the ball and get it to him. I think that Nelson, he would fit perfectly. And the fact that he has the jump shot that they crave, he would be the perfect stone for them, I think. And Denver has an embarrassment of riches. I think if Cleveland could find a way to give them a second-round pick that they need and maybe somebody. They're just trying to stockpile assets. They're they're a
0: team that's on the bubble. Moutier is only going to get better. They don't really need those point guard minutes out of Nelson. Moutier can easily step up and take those minutes. I like that. I'll, I'll I'll make a case for a different player. Uh, this one's a little more unlikely, but Rayshon Rondo. Rayshon Rondo has not, not really fit in sense. the last few places he's played in. Didn't fit in Dallas. We know that. Um, really. He he doesn't really fit in in, in Chicago because uh, their guard situation doesn't really make sense. There's just not quite enough shooting on that team. But the thing about Rondo is he's a cerebral player. He's a smart guy. And why not pair him with the smartest guy In basketball terms in the league and that's LeBron James and I feel like a guy like Rondo is not going to give his a effort if he doesn't think he's playing in the most important moments and on a team like Cleveland you have a clear ticket to the finals you have a clear chance to win you have other smart players around you and I feel like Rajon Rondo if it's gonna work anywhere it's gonna work in spot minutes in Cleveland And I don't know what it takes uh, to to get Chicago to do that kind of deal. It might just be a salary dump with a second-round pick. Um, But that's another guy who um, may be less likely for it to actually happen. But it's certainly the best position for Rondo to be in.
1: Yeah, it would. I mean, he he gets back to being on a championship-caliber team, which I think was what Dallas was pushing for when he was there. Um, I think the culture change that's going on in Chicago with Fred Holberg, with them trying to find out exactly who they're going to use to build their franchise off of, which I think it should be Jimmy Butler, and that's it. I was hearing reports that he was on a trade and block, which I really don't understand. That's the centerpiece of your team. I think the players that you have to get rid of is somebody like maybe Taj Gibson, who's kind of overstayed his welcome in Chicago, a very good player, but... I think that he commands He's just got trade too much, value for sure. Exactly commands too much from Chicago as far as a salary cap standpoint and what they need to do. He doesn't really provide it. He's kind of a tweener, and I think that if they found some value for him on the on the trading block, I think in well in the trade market rather, I think that they was that would serve them best. I think Chicago has a. There are a few pieces away. I think getting Dwayne Wade was. Something to hold their fans over while they lost Derrick Rose and, yeah. and losing Joakim Noah too. the mainstays. hometown guy coming exactly. back. So you want to bring back Dwayne Wade, somebody who you know, who can galvanize the hometown fans, so to speak, and make them want to come out and, and fill the seats, so to speak.
0: Let's let's switch topics. Let's talk about some players that nobody's talking about. We love basketball. We love the NBA. Who's somebody who's who's really coming up? that hasn't really gotten what they deserve yet?
1: Hmm. Somebody I would look at, I would look at the Orlando Magic's Evan Fournier. Um, I like him. I, I More than just to, a name. Yeah, I paid, I paid attention to him on, um, when he was in Denver. And he's a, a very solid player. And now that he has the opportunity in Orlando, I think that he's he's running with it. I think he's going to be a very solid player if he finds the right system. I think Orlando is one of those teams that falls in line with Denver and a team that just has an embarrassment of riches, but the culture needs to be set there. And I think because looking at Orlando going into the season, I thought that they were a team that could fight for that AC. They got Serge Ibaka. They had a few pieces where I felt like they had two starting fives. They could go on, they can put any unit out there on the floor and be competitive, but it just hasn't translated into that. And I don't know if it, it's a, a, a coaching thing or if it's just all the pieces trying to come together, but they have Bayambo, they have Aaron Gordon. They have Vucevic, they have um, Ibaka. So it's like they have people on their front line who can play, but it's like, what is it that's not allowing them to bring it together? And I think maybe someone like Alfred Payton, who they drafted, who's not really a shooting guard, who doesn't really give them much from that position, I think that's someone who they could have, you know, did a little bit better in that vein because he's kind of like Rayjean Rondo 2.0, but people would deal with him more because he has a better attitude. (laughs) So...
0: I think my favorite guy that doesn't really get enough credit is Miles Turner. That's a great choice. When I saw him, um, you know, in that draft class, I said, "Here's a guy who's got all the tools as a big, to be a super skilled big," and not to get onto fantasy basketball, but I I missed out on on picking him uh, in an auction draft by about a dollar, and it really it's a keeper draft, so it really really. It really killed me because uh, this was this was two years ago and um, I just feel like he's a guy who's he's a gamer you always want somebody who's going to produce in the big moments and this guy is not afraid of anything he wants that shot and as a young guy he is already ready to take on more responsibility to take on a bigger load and in a league full of great players Sometimes a, a young, great player just kind of gets lost in the mix. Miles Turner is a fantastic talent. Uh, he's he's a guy that you just you wish you had on your team because you just know this guy is going to be productive for a very, very long time. Yes. And he's just a guy who, you know, he's on an Indiana team that's not quite killing it. Um, you know, he's obviously not Paul George. He's not Monte Ellis. Um, but... At the same time, he's a guy that it's you can get really excited about because he's got all the tools, and he's just going to be able to produce for a very long time.
1: I mean, he has a, a very good game. He can shoot the jumper. He can protect the rim at times. I think he's going to be a very good piece for Indiana. I think he's going to be one of the solid building blocks, him along with PG-13. Yeah. I think those two together, that's who you build that franchise on. And I think you kind of move on from Monte Ellis. I mean... Some franchises, some franchises and some GMs just have that feeling like, okay, there's something that this player was missing as far as coach, as far as setting yep. that we can bring out of this player. But I think, not to downplay his productivity, but Monte Ellis is a player that doesn't really give you much on defense and is kind of streaky on offense. And I don't think that's a player that if you want to have sustained success, that's not a player that you bank on.
0: I think he's ideally the kind of guy who's in your rotation – but is almost a guy coming off your bench when you're a super talented team. When you look back at the playoff teams that had real success, the teams that were uh, really, really successful in the 90s and the 2000s, you always had a guy who was a little bit past his prime years, but a very productive player. I'm talking about Robert Ory on the Lakers. Mm. I'm talking about Mario Ellie on the Spurs. Mm -hmm. I'm talking about a guy who is better than the position he is on that roster, but the roster is so good that, hey, this becomes his role. And I think for one of these teams that is a clear playoff team, that's clearly in the mix, you add this kind of guy when he's your fourth, fifth, sixth best player, and Monte Ellis is still a guy who can really get it done. But if he's your second or third best player, I think you're not you're not you're not going in the right direction, not, not. and I think you need to trade him to get him in a position to a team like you said with that has a wealth of riches, where he becomes just another option. Uh, again, a fourth, fifth, or sixth option, clearly a rotation player, yes. clearly one of the better players in the league. Yes. But a player who can uh, sort of find a spot the way Eric Gordon has in Houston. Jamal Crawford. Jamal Crawford yeah. has in L.A. I mean, there's be- probably no better player than Jamal I mean, Crawford in, in Montelis, the Clippers. Ellis.
1: if he gets over the pride of just wanting to be a starter and and still believing that, okay, I am a superstar in this league, yeah. not not to take anything away from him because he has a very phenomenal game. He's electrifying our offense certain times when you watch him play. But I think that if he came off the bench for a very good team where yeah. he's not like you said, the second or third option, I think he makes your roster very much better. Winning
0: is the cure-all, and all everybody likes to win. And you take the guy who is the second-best player on the team, who's putting up big numbers, and they won 25 games, nobody's having fun that year. And instead, you throw that guy on a 60-win team, and he's the fifth-best player, and he's putting up 11 points a game. I'm telling you, you gotta be a you gotta pretty be a pretty rough dude not to have fun you, you in that kind you just of year. Described?
1: Andre Iguodala. Yeah, yeah, a perfect. He's the guy who adjusted big time to that role, big time because him coming into the league, best uh, I player on only, Philly, he was with him and Al Iverson. He had to sit behind AI for a few seasons before. But Alan then Iverson he came up and, and clearly he was a he best was the player. number one option on that team. And then it's like, wait, this guy went from being the number one option to now he's a bench. Role player, six man. You know what I'm saying for yep. Golden State, but the fact that he got the MVP award, yeah, it shows. Excuse me, it shows his talent. It shows that he's better than the role that he's playing. But he's the perfect type of teammate that you want on your team—a guy who's team first, who says, "Okay, I have the talent, I have the skill." But with this team, what I bring to the table would be much suited coming off the bench, and not a lot of players have that can be that humble and say, okay, I want to be the greatest, but you know what, let me take this back seat and still be able to be great in that.
0: So, it's let, tough. Let's switch it up. Let's talk about the the top college prospects. Let's talk about the guys who teams like Boston, who are even though they're the three seed in the East, uh, they got an eye to what's going on next year.
1: Was that Billy King who approved that trade? Uh, Oh was that Prokhorov who, who gave the opening? well?
0: I think ultimately it's the guy who signs the checks that makes the calls, and um, we can talk about Russia in all kinds of different ways. But mm. I think we, I think we can say that uh, an, an old Paul Pierce and old Kevin Garnett, uh, as great as the players that they are, it's not worth a first round pick in 2017 and 2018 the way we are now. So. Uh, you look at Danny Ainge and you say, man, Boston does it again.
1: I don't like them, but they do it again. And here we are with they the three even seed. They didn't give up Ray Allen in that trade. <laughs> I'm, I'm thinking, okay, you give up two draft picks to a team who, okay, you're taking plays on their last leg. Like, they're going to retire in two to three years. That's when these You're all in picks, for I'm one gonna, season at exactly, that point. Exactly, that's going to kick in. It's like, okay, if Florida we start the style. Tank, exactly. If we start to tank, it's to the benefit of the team that we traded our draft picks to. So in that, in that instance, is now it's your job to be better than the team that you traded your picks to because that's what you were looking for. But yep. when you look at their roster, they don't have those players still there. They're either retired Nothing. or on their last legs of being retired. And, and give them credit. Running.
0: They're doing as best as they can with what they have. I like what they're doing. I, I,
1: Kilpatrick. Has you been know what I mean? You,
0: you, you take them in a snapshot today and you say, hey, they're trying. But – they are the product of the trades that were made before. And we're looking at Boston, the 3C, with the number one pick.
1: The 3 seed. That's,
0: that's, that's pretty to, interesting. To have so you've watched more year. college ball than I have. What are you looking at when you see the top draft picks for this summer?
1: I think um, I'm on line with the pundits in this um, instance because I think that the top three picks in the draft will all be point guards. They'll all be freshmen. Um, I think it depends on what, what you like. Dennis Smith Jr., who's from North Carolina State, I think he's gonna be a very good guard, solid. I think he controls the tempo of the game really well. Markel Fultz from Washington, I think he's gonna be. He's more of the the superstar player out of the bunch. And Lonzo Ball, he's just he he's personifies his last name. He just balls. That's a kid that goes out there and he's brass. He's brazen, just like his father is. And he but he goes out there and he performs. And I've watched him play. A few late games, cause to watch UCLA play, you do have to stay late. Their games are on the West Coast. The same thing with faults. So I don't think a lot of people get to see them as much, but they have been performing. And I think you can flip flop between Markel and Lonzo, and I think it just depends on what you need. Lonzo is going to be in the vein of that Jason Kidd type player, tall point guard who can has a very good IQ, can see the floor, control the game, and he actually has a very good jump shot. The hitch in the shot. Looks a little bad, but I think that that's something that you can work around, and I think he's going to be a very solid player. Um, And then when you go from there, I think the next two picks are probably going to be from the wing. Um, I think Josh Jackson probably goes forward. And then looking at somebody like he's Jason Tatum. He's a nice Tatum, player. Jason Tatum, he's going to be a very good player. A player that I will um, look out for would be Malik Monk from Kentucky. I think he has a very good upside. just From a scoring standpoint, I think he's going to be – He's, if not the best scorer of this draft class, he's the best scorer. And there's a kid from um Florida State, um Jonathan Isaac, if I'm not mistaken. I think that's his name. And I he's actually going to be a great player. He's a 6'11 wing at the small forward in the vein of Kevin Durant. I think hmm. he has a very good upside. Um, I think a team that could use him right now on this draft board that we have up in front of us it says that he's um, projected to go to Denver, I think that would be a very good place for him. If they get rid of Gallinari and uh, maybe a Wilson Chandler, that, that gets him, you know, the chances to, to actually thrive if he winds up in Denver.
0: All right, well, uh, I think we did pretty good for our first run. We're just a little over 50 minutes here. Um,
1: Wait, we we ran the gamut. But we can't leave without addressing this this one very, very tough topic to get around. Let's do it. What's going on with Derrick Rose?
0: Ugh. Well, okay, I think you and I, I think, are a little more empathetic than most people. I think we, we, we see that person as a person. And you never know what's going on in somebody's personal life. And we don't want to be quick to judge because who knows what, what somebody's dealing with. You never really see it. Um, clearly something, something was going on there, and clearly it's a family thing. Yes. But the bottom line is we live in this age— we have a phone right in our pocket all the time. And all it takes is a text message, is a quick phone call to even just your agent and say, B.J. Armstrong, I got a family emergency. I don't want to talk to anybody. I'll deal with you guys tomorrow. Can you just handle this and tell them it's a family emergency and I'll tell you all the details whenever I get a chance. Well, guess what? That was like 10, 15 seconds. And that's all you got to do. And you're getting paid like upwards of $18, 20000000 million a year you got to be able to make that call, and even if you're gonna make that call just to your agent to handle it for you, you got to be able to do that. And I think uh, th- there's something unprofessional. Um, again, I don't want to dump on a guy who's in a tough situation from a family standpoint. Exactly. Um, you know, I'm I'm a sympathetic guy, but at the same time, you make it twenty million dollars a yes. year. You got to make a phone call. You got to make a phone call to. because you say some magic words. And everybody gives you slack and everyone's off your back. And all you got to do is say those magic words. So, um, not to, not to be the New York post here, (laughs) but the fact that he didn't do that is a little, makes you question things. And I think it makes you question, Hey, he just got benched like two games right before that for Ron Baker, who's, you know, not exactly a Derrick Rose caliber (laughs) player. So it makes you question whether that's a coincidence or not, um, and, you know, last night on the TNT broadcast, everybody's saying they should suspend him for a game. I don't know about that. I, I'm not on that. I you really I, I'm not on that because I don't see what that solves. I, does that make him feel good about the organization? Does that feel like they understand him? And, you know, we were talking about this before we started yes. recording. When Steve Mills sits down, when Jeff Hornacek sits down, when Phil Jackson, the silent, suddenly silent Phil Jackson sits down, and here's what Derek Rose has to say. They don't suspend him, okay? So, these three guys are privy to some information that we didn't have. They obviously don't have. And um, I think, you know, uh, these guys are not exactly not combative. Phil Jackson's not exactly not a combative guy. If he wanted to suspend Derrick Rose for a game, he would have done it. And so, I think this just comes down to a miscalculation on Derrick Rose's standpoint of maybe emotions uh, just run high right now and just don't do the simple things that gets everybody off your back and look there's no history of this at all with Derrick Rose and he came back uh, even though they lost a game to Philly which God was a a heartbreaker Um, he was was balling out of control in that game and super efficient and he came right back he you know he called the Knicks to give me a, a private jet back to the game he really wanted to play and you know for so many of these guys for us even Playing basketball, that's our therapy. When we get on the court, uh, that's when you get to set everything else aside. Yes. Everything that's not going right, everything you wish or hope that it was going right everywhere else. When you get on the court, you get to focus on that one thing. And that's what he did. And so I, I believe his heart is in the game. I believe his heart is, is to play his heart out. And um, I think you got to give him the benefit of the doubt. But, hey, man, it's 2017. we it got is. text messages.
1: We we got yeah, but you got to I mean, make a phone call. It's just even just to your agent. You're right, but I'm just empathetic with him because the fact that he must have, divorcee, really must have been really tough, I must been really tough to be gotta, not be in that headspace. Yeah, like put the put the factors on the table and then just analyze it from that standpoint. I mean, I don't want to be one to to just jump to conclusion when we hear, okay, Derrick Rose missed the game. Okay, now what are what are the as you say? Should right? we trade so him exactly? Like, let's not jump to conclusions or, or think we know the answer or what the solution would be or now we got to think about the punishment. What exactly is the situation at hand? And me, I'm not one to, to rush to judgment because you never know what the situation is. And yep. he said it was a family issue. Yep. As we know, this man has a four-year-old child. He's going through a divorce. He had a very public trial that came out about some <laughs> sexual things. So his not relationship easy. with his divorced wife or whoever his spouse was, then, can't be easy. it can't be the most easiest situation, especially when you're an athlete. And you got to think he came from the bottom of Chicago. So it's, it's a lot that that factors into that.
0: Lived his whole life in Chicago, played basically his whole career except for exactly. one year in college in Chicago. And here he is suddenly in a different city, in a big city. Um, Focus is, is you know, totally different. Reaching out to Carmelo to yes. try to have Thanksgiving together. Um, spent Christmas alone, apparently. So, look, this this is a man, this is a human your heart has to go out to the guy and you have to say uh, maybe he's dealing with something that's difficult and l- let's try to give him the benefit of the doubt let's create a situation where he can succeed and if he screws that up okay well then that's on him but yeah. let's 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 make sure we got a place where he can he could feel like he can exactly maximize like, his potential it
1: goes along with what you said there's no history of this right so we have nothing to say okay well we have to suspend you off the basis of this is the second Third time this happened. Yeah, I mean, it had to be something like of the highest magnitude with this child. His child's safety had to be in danger, or just something. You know what I'm saying? To make a man say, "I want to walk away from the way I I make a living." Yep. You know what I'm saying? The way that and
0: a great living. Exactly at that.
1: that the way that I can provide for my family. I'm. I want to walk away from it all. So just in hearing that is just. I think it was something that was just entirely bigger than basketball. And I think to try to penalize him from basketball, I think will only take away from, from what he's trying to do and what he's trying to accomplish.
0: Yeah, and I think in that spirit, let's have an open heart. Let's have an open mind. And, um, you know, strike two is strike two. But this was only strike one. So let's let the guy live and, uh, you know, give him a, give him a chance to. Uh, I'm all for second chances. Yeah, especially, especially with a guy that good. And especially with the guy who came back, not even just really balling out of good. control in the next game. It's not like he didn't want to play. Right. This guy really wanted to play. As soon as he got on the court, he he
1: was he was he he came and showed that his his mind and his focus was back on the game, which I think it, it speaks a lot because to have something of that magnitude, a family issue happen, and to come back and then to be able to dive right back into what your team is trying to do and have that focus, I think it speaks to. What he wants to accomplish and it shows that he genuinely cares about you know about the team and the direction in which they're going
0: And let's not forget this is a contract year guys tend to play really well in a contract year yes. and derrick rose has played well in a contract year i mean you can get the advanced stats in there about plus and minus and all that kind of stuff but he's putting up the points he's he's playing the number of games the field goal percentage is it, it, it's, it's good enough and um from the eye test, he's passing the eye test. Yeah. So, um, I think I, innocent until proven guilty. That's how I feel. Yeah.
1: I mean, with Derrick Rose, I think he he is going to go as far as his health takes him. I think once he proves that he can be healthy in this league, he can be a constant producer for a team. I think that's when Derrick Rose can really settle in, and then he can get back to being Derrick Rose. I think until then, I think you know, it remains to be seen.
0: Well. Kelvin, we're just coming up on exactly an hour. Yes. On this podcast at our first run,
1: first and
0: run. Um, uh, we'll let the audience decide. But I, I, feel like we we had a good run in the think first it was run. Decent. I think, uh, you know, obviously uh, we don't know what we're doing. We're gonna do better next time. We're always gonna keep getting better. Just like, a, just like a player on the court, upward and onward, we're, as they say. Yeah, right? we're gonna look at the film. We're <laughs> gonna make adjustments. And we're going to say, uh, you got to switch over there, and uh, you're not covering <laughs> me over here. And, uh, yes. you know. Uh, I was open. Why don't you put your hands up on defense <laughs> there when uh, C.J. McConnell hits a game-winning shot. So, to that end. Oh, heartbreaker. Oh, man.
1: Heartbreaker.
0: Oh, to that end, this is a great first try, and uh, we're looking forward to doing
1: this again. Very much looking forward to doing this. I'm Evan. And I'm Kelvin.
0: And uh, let's talk basketball.